Well, take your Bibles, if you would, this morning and go to the book of John, the fifth chapter, John chapter number five. And I want to draw your attention to verse number 19 this morning. John chapter number five, verse number 19. Uh, last week, we began a, an extensive look at uh, verses 17 down through verse 27. I kind of gave you an outline of where we're going with this. But in these verses, from verse 17 to verse 27, we have Jesus himself proving his own deity. In other words, he is speaking out about his equality with God the Father. Uh, Jesus uh, makes uh, no apologies for claiming equality with the Father. Uh, he never claims and says that my Father is greater than I, or I'm greater than the Father, or the Spirit is greater than me. He declares that he is equal with the Father, or he is equal with God. We saw that in verse uh, number 18 last week when he said that God was his Father making himself equal with God. If you look at verse number 19, we look this morning at the second proof of Christ's deity. Look what he says in verse 19. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. Remember, Jesus has been answering the Jews that had accused him, remember, of healing on the Sabbath day. And then that led to him claiming equality with God, which led them to now uh, charge him with blasphemy. So Jesus has received two charges. One, you've healed on the Sabbath day. And the second one, you have now committed blasphemy because you're commit you are equaling yourself with God the Father. You are saying you are God. This wasn't the only time Jesus, of course, would be, uh, would be criticized. It wasn't the only time Jesus uh, would be criticized for healing the sick. And also, it would not be the only time he'd claim equality with the Father. But this is one of the most um, illustrated times when he does that. In other words, Christ takes more time here than any other gospel account to give the proof of his own deity. Now, remember, he's not answering as necessarily a way to prove it to them. He is answering these by authority. In other words, Jesus is not having a debate with these Jews. He's not saying, uh, listen, I'm going to give you all the reasons why you ought to believe me. He's declaring what is true. Uh, he's not debating the matter. So verse 19 here is also a verse that many people who deny the deity of Christ use. In other words, if you ever get into a Bible debate... Again, we've talked about this over the, over the time that uh, we've been together, uh, debating uh, biblical truths and uh, realities. Uh, sometimes there's value. Sometimes it does nothing uh, but just adds tension. But this verse, verse 19, is one that is used to deny the deity of Christ. And you might say, well, where does it deny the deity of Christ? Notice the expression there. The Bible says, the son can do nothing of himself. Now, to the unrighteous mind... That suggests that there is a defect or a blemish in Christ's character. It, it suggests that there's some limitation. In other words, it, it sounds as if Christ cannot do something or he's limited. Now, that's not the case, and that's not what that phrase means. Because if you take it in its full context, you see what is around it. Uh, if, if you mark in your Bible, you, you might mark and, and break this verse up into two sections. 
The first section would run from then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself. And you might draw a line there or some way to divide it. And then the second half of the verse, but what he seeth the Father do, for what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. Like any verse in the Bible, if you take one verse and you take it out of context, pull one phrase, one expression from a verse, you can make up your own doctrine. You can create an entire teaching. It would be false, but you could make up an entire teaching if we just took that and let it stand on its own. If I just came this morning and said the Son can do nothing of himself, it would put in the human mind that Christ has a limit or that Christ has a defect. He has a blemish. If he has a defect, if he has a blemish, then he cannot be God. So that leads me to the conclusion, I'm going to deny his deity. I'm going to deny that he's equal with the Father. However, we understand that what this actually does and what this verse does, instead of declaring he is declaring falsely that he's not God, it actually confirms his deity. This is actually a verse that has been used on both sides. There are people that say this says he's not God, but people who know their Bible say this is a verse that authoritatively declares that Jesus Christ is God. And that matters so much this morning because we realize that without Christ's deity, then he could not have been a savior. And without him being God, his dying upon a cross would have meant nothing. So we've been looking at this, and last week we established the fact that Christ was equal with the Father in redemption and service. This morning I want us to consider, and from this verse, and this is the only verse we're going to look at as far as uh, just pointed, we're going to reference some other verses. But I want to look this morning at Christ being equal with the Father in will and purpose. Christ being equal with the Father in will and purpose. That's what Jesus is declaring here. He is not declaring that he is unequal with God. He is declaring that I am equal with the Father in my will and in my purpose. In other words, we are unified in what we're doing. Notice it says, then answered Jesus and said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you. We recognize the verilies in the Bible, and that simply means truly. But who was it that Jesus was replying to? Now, we looked at this last week. Uh, there was not really a question asked, but the Bible says, then answered Jesus. But who was it he was replying to? He was replying to these Jews, the same Jews had, who had accused him. He was answering his accusers who had charged him with blasphemy and had charged him with healing on the Sabbath day. They sought to kill him, we've learned. These were individuals who wanted to kill him. That's what it says in verse 18. For those two reasons alone, you healed on the Sabbath and you equated yourself with God the Father. So Jesus is answering not just critics. He's actually answering those that want to kill him. Notice what he declares here. The first thought here. The Bible says that the son, we're going to look at that in just a moment, can do nothing of himself. The phrase the son is a, a declaration of deity. Okay, we'll look at that in just a moment. But he's replying to these men who want him dead. He's replying at enemies that are angered at him because he made himself equal. Verse 19, we see in the second part that he declares, I and my Father are one. We saw that 
Last week when he said, my father worketh hitherto and I work. Remember we looked and we saw intently how Christ said the work that the father does, that is the same work that I do. That's how we looked at in redemption and in service. Jesus Christ and the father are exactly one. But the son can do nothing of himself is not a denial of his deity. In other words, it is actually, it's the respecting of his deity. And the divine glory of what the Son of God who came and took on human flesh, it actually declares the glory of God. Yet to the unrighteous man, the unrighteous man says Christ has limits. The Son of God has a defect. Remember we mentioned last week that it is not uncommon for the world to accept God. Uh, don't ever be taken back by that. The world as a whole accepts God. But the world on a whole does not accept Christ. And you cannot accept God the Father without accepting Christ the Son. You can't even accept Christ the Son without accepting God the Father. If I say there's only Christ or there's only God the Father or there's only the Holy Spirit, I deny the Trinity of God and I deny the entire sovereignty of God. So I can't just choose one and say I prefer Christ over God the Father. There's actually a modern day teaching today says we prefer Christ the Son because God the Father, he seems to be the Old Testament God who seems to be very harsh and very angry. You realize without the Old Testament God the Father, there is no New Testament Christ the Son. And whatever God the Father said in the Old Testament, Christ the Son would be in perfect accordance with. He would be in perfect will with that. But yet man says in his, in his intellect, he says... The God of the Old Testament is not a God that I want any part of. So if you want nothing to do with God in the Old Testament, you also want nothing to do with Christ the Son. Jesus Christ and God the Father, they are equal. There is no contradictory terms when we mention the two of them together. So what does this phrase, the Son can do nothing of himself, mean? Jesus has already declared his authority, and now he's showing what we'll refer to as his source and his ultimate nature. In other words, what he's declaring is who he is of. And what this tells us is this proves to them that he's exactly what he claims to be. The first explanation which he gives is the word son, or the son of God. The father and the son are one. The Son of God is referring to him in his humanity. It's referring to him as a man who took on this robe of human flesh, but he never ceased to be God. Jesus Christ has always been equal with the Father. The Son declares his incarnation. It declares that this is when he came and he took on that robe. Now, to the, to the, to the world, we might tell them, here's how I illustrate that to you. When Jesus Christ, you see or you hear about him in the manger, that's Jesus Christ, the son. But however, he's still God. He's not just a babe in a manger. He's not just someone we can cast in a dramatic presentation of a nativity scene. He's the incarnate God. He didn't have his beginning in the manger. Jesus Christ did not begin there. That's why it's often wrong if we refer to him as Jesus Christ being born, because that suggests he has a beginning. If Jesus Christ was born the way that we think about the word born, then he has a beginning. But Jesus Christ is without beginning, and he's without end, just like God the Father is. So Jesus declaring the Son, he's speaking of himself, okay? The Son has 
or can do nothing of himself. All right, so let's look at the, the, what has caused such a stir here. Of himself. We would refer to this as Jesus is saying he can do nothing without the appointment of the Father. They say, okay, preacher, there you said there's a limit. No, let's keep going here in just a moment because that which is appointed by the Father has also been received and accepted by Christ the Son. More specifically, it means Christ is saying, I can do nothing contrary to my Father. In other words, what my Father does, I cannot do the opposite. I can't do contrary to what He does. But it's even more specific than that. What God the Father's will is, what His purpose is, I can't do anything contrary to that. In other words, what God the Father wills, what God the Father purposes, the Son also, it is His will and His purpose that He carries out the plan of God the Father. Again, the humanist says there is a restriction in God. No, he's going to immediately explain what this means. He says he can do nothing of himself, do nothing of himself. That means that there is such a union between the two of them. In other words, the union between the Father and the Son, he cannot do anything independently. He cannot act alone. He can't do anything without the appointment of the Father. What implications does that have? It has lots of implications. Christ couldn't have even gone to the cross without unity of God the Father. You know, when Jesus, throughout the Scriptures, he uses the term, my time has not yet come. What was he saying? He was saying the will of the Father, the purpose of the Father, the time has not yet arrived. That time that's already been declared, that time that's already been uh, predetermined before the foundation of the world, my time has not yet come. That's Jesus himself declaring that this is, we are equal in will and we are equal in purpose. In all things, Christ the Son must, from the necessity of who he is, act according to the nature and the will of God, of God the Father. That unity is that the fact he... The fact that he, Christ, does anything is the living proof that he is, in fact, in accordance with God. This unity, there is no separate action and there is no separate existence. They are alike in being, they are alike in action, and there is a perfect oneness between the two of them. It's really quite remarkable that one of the greatest things under the attack today, and not attack from the outside, the attack from the inside of churches today, is an attack on the Trinity. You know, it's interesting that the Bible talks about there coming attacks on the church and on believers, and we're so busy looking outside the walls that we're not paying attention that some of the greatest attacks and some of the greatest threats to sound Bible doctrine is not people coming from the outside, it's people already seated there. It's people who are sitting in, in chairs and in pews and who are saying, listen, I deny this Trinity. Well, I'm going to tell you something. There will be nothing that will destroy a church faster than a denial of the Trinity. If I even give a suggestion that I don't believe Christ is God, I'm creating an environment that is contrary to the whole Bible. Now, if we get caught up in the things that don't matter, we say, well, there's a problem at that church because they disagree on semantics or they disagree on 
how things ought to be decorated and, and frivolous things like that. Those aren't great issues. The great issues are what do I think about the deity of Christ? What do I think about the Trinity of God? Because the implication goes all the way down to even the blood that Christ shed. If he's not deity, if he's not God, then that was not spotless blood. That was not pure blood. And without the pure blood, without the sacrifice of a lamb without blemish, we would have no hope today. Jesus over in John chapter number 10, verse number 30, makes that definitive statement, I and my Father are one. The Father and Son are not one person, but they're one in essence. They're one in eternity. They're one in power. And they're one, and here's, what's, here's the important thing we're looking at this morning, and one in will. As a matter of fact, Jesus later on in John chapter 10, verse 38 says this, But if I do, though ye believe not me, believe the works, that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me, and I in him. That's a language of oneness. But they're not one person. They're one in essence. Okay, they're not the same person. They're one in essence, eternity, power, and will. The same in John chapter 10 as is in John chapter 5. The Jews' response to Jesus in John 10 is the same. They want to kill him. Every time Christ declares his deity, he declares his equality with the Father, the Jews seek to kill him. It is a matter of utmost importance. Over in John 17, verse 21, we also have Jesus again dealing with this. And this is part of Christ's prayer for his people. John 17, verse 21. He's praying for those that are in the world. Let's go back and let's, let's kind of get the picture of this. Jesus in this prayer, beginning there, uh, let's, look, let's look at verse number 10. He says, and all mine are thine. He's referring to the people. And thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Okay, there's again Christ in a prayer to his heavenly Father is declaring, you and I are one. Okay, deity. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee. And these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word. And the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world." I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth." Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe 
that thou hast sent me. Jesus, in these declarations and in this prayer, this is not just an external unity. This is not just something that is an appearance. This is a unity between Christ and God the Father. The Father art in me and I in thee. This unity, you and I, he's, he's, playing, he's praying for other believers. The unity that we have in Christ, raises, it, it, it's, it is dependent upon the unity of Christ the Son and God the Father. In order to be one with God, it depends upon the unity of Christ the Son and God the Father. Christ himself is praying that his people would be one as he and the Father are one. This very foundation of believer's unity is the gospel revelation. That's what the gospel is all about, that God gave us his Son. It's in his will and it's in his purpose. Now, does this mean that God, Christ, his ability is limited? Some argue and they say this limits Christ's power. It doesn't do any such thing. As a matter of fact, it adds emphasis to his power. Because as we think about Christ is saying, I can do nothing but what the Father does, or I can do nothing of myself, it doesn't suggest limitation. What it actually suggests is it actually suggests power. You say, what about the cross? Wasn't that a limit? Wasn't his power limited? His power was limited voluntarily. In other words, he gave himself up. Humility. Why did God, through the Son, do that? Because of the will and the purpose of God the Father and God the Son was to redeem a people for himself. Jesus Christ voluntarily gave up his power. Even when he's in the garden and he's, he's, he's sweating drops of blood. He says, not my will, but thy will be done. We think about the reality of this matter. What was Jesus saying when he says the son can do nothing of himself? He was talking and speaking about the unity of the will of the father and the will of the son. It's perfect. What God the Father's will is, is Christ the Son's will. They don't act contrary to each other. I made this statement last week and I wasn't trying to be irreverent, but God the Father and God the Son do not argue about what comes next. There is no argument about what do we do now. There is no meeting of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit where they discuss what do we do now. The world is falling to pieces. The world's falling apart. What do we do there is no arguments there. Why? Because the will and the purpose of God is being carried out exactly as they have laid it out before the foundation of the world. The hardest thing for you and I as believers to, be, to believe today is that what we see happening around us is all part of the plan of God. You say, how can some of the wickedness that we see, how can some of the evil things that we see, how can this be part of the plan of God? All of it is God's purpose and will being carried out. Sadly, sinful men are still a part of this. Sadful, sadly, men are still acting contrary to God. Notice again what he says back in our text in John 5. The second phrase here. He says, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the father do. What he seeth the father do. Remember, we talked a little bit about 
creation last week, and we pointed all the way back to Genesis, where it is said, let us make man in our own image. The phrase, let us, is a declared proof of the Trinity. People have in their mind's eye that the world was created by just God the Father, that God the Father was the only one in existence then. God the Spirit was non-existent. God the, God the Son was non-existent. So it was God the Father speaking from heaven. And we've all seen false pictures of what that looked like. Even in creation and the works of providence, in the making of laws, in the government that God establishes, the laws of the universe, you know, you understand that the solar system, even the solar system doesn't just stay there on its own. You realize it's all being held together. And a lot of times we're very quick to say, well, yeah, God holds that together. But do you realize that Christ just as much holds that together as God the Father and the Holy Spirit? You see, even in our Christian vernacular, we take it, we almost pull God apart and we say, oh yeah, God the Father does this, Jesus the Son does this, and God the Holy Spirit does this. They are all in one unity. That way, if I say God is holding the universe together, I'm not just talking about God the Father. I'm talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all holding it together. You see, when we begin to slice and dice the Trinity apart, and we begin to say, God the Father does this, God the Son does this, and God the Holy Spirit does this, we understand that there is different activities, but they are all doing the same will to accomplish the same purpose. That's why if someone tries to tell you, you only need Christ to be saved, you need to sit up and take notice because that's not entirely true. Because without God the Father and without God the Holy Spirit, there is no salvation through Christ. A lot of people say all you have to do is just believe that Jesus exists. That's not what the Bible teaches. When I accept Christ, I am accepting the entire Godhead. I'm accepting God the Father and I'm accepting God the Holy Spirit. There's a whole movement out there again. It's happening in churches. They're denying the Trinity and they're saying, here's what they're saying. All you really need is Jesus. Now that sounds religious. It really does. It sounds religious. It sounds spot on. But if you're not careful, unless they clarify what they mean, you may find yourself in a world of trouble. You're going to find yourself in a doctrinally unsound church. People go into churches all the time and they say, the preachers talked about Jesus. What does he think about Jesus? Does he think that he's the son of God or does he think he was just a good man who was good at carpentry? Many times churches you go into, you don't even hear them talk about the deity of Christ. You only hear them talking about follow Christ's example if you want to be a great husband and a great father. Or you want to be a good man. He becomes kind of an idol to say, let's ascribe to have all of his characteristics and you miss the reality. That's not why he came. Jesus Christ is carrying out the purpose and the will of God the Father. So what does he see? It's an interesting, it's an interesting word, but what he seeth the Father do. This word seeth, you know, you and I with our eyes and even in this term, we can't really see God. We don't see God acting today. Like you, you right now are not seeing what God is actually doing to hold us together. Like you don't know what he's restraining right now. You have no idea what he's keeping from happening to you right at this very moment. But it's there. 
Christ sees it. Now, don't think about terms always in the physical senses. Because that's, we see words like see and hear, and we immediately say, okay, I see it with my eyes and I hear it with my ears. It's, Christ often used our senses to describe a deeper spiritual meaning to it. It's, it's not always about what you can see with your eyes. Because if I told you today, hey, hey, just look this way and you can see Jesus. You're not going to see Jesus in bodily form in any way, shape, or form today. You say, well, I can put a picture on the wall. You're not seeing Jesus. Uh, that's an artist's uh, often false depiction of who he is. That's why there are no pictures of Jesus anywhere in this building. I'm, I'm so serious about this, I don't even think you really want to put pictures of Jesus in any kind of literature. You're putting a picture of something that's just not there. And quite frankly, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what Jesus looked like when he walked on this earth. It makes no difference at all in your theology. But people spend hours and hours and hours researching what did Jesus look like? Doesn't matter. What matters is that he became a man without ceasing to be God. That's what matters. It doesn't matter how old he was, how tall he was, what his hair was short or long. Did he have a beard? Did he not have a beard? I've heard people argue over that and I say, what difference does it make? It doesn't matter. Well, he had to have a beard because he was from this lineage and this. He didn't. He couldn't have a beard. He wouldn't have long. It doesn't matter. But what does matter is that Christ himself says that the Son sees what the Father does. No person in his humanity can see God, but the word here is implying that the Son sees him act. Now, I could use a crude comparison and say, I can see what you're doing. Like right now, I can see what every one of you are doing. But that's not exactly what Jesus is saying. Again, we're thinking so humanly. We think, okay, so Christ is sitting there and he's, he's watching God and he's watching him like he's watching a television show. That's not what he's talking about. It's a, it's a discernment, it's a perfect knowledge. It's a perfect perception of exactly what God the Father is doing. He has a knowledge of him. Matter of fact, you know Christ has a knowledge of the Father that you and I do not possess. You don't have the same knowledge Christ has. Now, we all think we're religious scholars. We read our Bibles a little bit and we, we, get, we get smart. We, we begin to understand truths and we begin to think, I'm seeing things the way Christ sees them. We don't see God the Father even in the same sense that Christ sees him or the Holy Spirit sees him. But Christ says, I see him. I see what he does. Now watch this. Christ, before he acts, or even does a single work, always acts in accordance with the knowledge of what the Father does. Now go back to our illustration. Christ, or the text, Christ healed on the Sabbath day. And we already established and proved this last week that Jesus acting on the Sabbath day was no different than God the Father and God the Son and the God the Holy Spirit in the works of creation. So why did Christ heal on that day? He healed out of authority. And he healed in perfect accordance with the will of God. What were the Jews accusing Jesus of? You're breaking the law. If Jesus himself did it, here's one thing is for certain. It was in accordance with the will of the Father. He does it with a knowledge. The son cannot 
has never or will ever act independently of the Father. Somebody will write a book. Mark my word. Somebody will write a book about this very thing and they will say, they will start begin to claim that Jesus Christ is acting now independently. Do you know what Jesus Christ acting independently of the Father would be? It would be rebellion. Rebellion is sin. So if someone tells you Jesus Christ acts independently, quietly get your Bible, pick up, walk out. If you hear it from this pulpit, get up, walk out. Because you've heard heresy now. Christ has never acted independently of the Father. It's unity. Perfect unity. And here's where he says it. For what things soever he doeth, these, I circled the phrase what things and drew a line over to the word these because it's context there. For what things soever he doeth, the he refers to the Father, these things also doeth the Son likewise. Here Christ simply says it. What the Father does, I do. Now again, remember who he's talking to. He's talking to people who are not going to receive this well. The world and its creation, its government, its providence, Christ is without limit. All the Father does, the Son does. Folks, that is the highest declaration of deity that you can find. When Jesus says, what God the Father does, I do, that is the strongest declaration of deity that you can find. Because you know what? None of us can make that claim. No other person who's ever lived or ever will can say, what God the Father does, I do. Again, you hear a preacher stand up and tell you that, get up and walk out. You hear, you hear a preacher stand up one day and say, listen, I don't sin anymore, get up and walk out. You know why one of the basic reasons we can't do what the Father does because of sin? We will never be as God the Father. You know, there's, a, there's an argument now going around saying, could Jesus have sinned? Think about what you're asking here. This is coming out of churches, folks. This is not people from the outside. These are, these are people now who are saying that he could sin. Again, if we're not careful, we suddenly begin to hack the Trinity up. Take apart the Trinity, talk about, you take apart the deity of Christ. If one does all that another person does, then there's complete equality. And guess what? There is no two of us on a human realm who do everything exactly the same. You know, even if you got up in the morning and you intentionally dressed the same, you tried to act the same, you know even twins are not the same. They're not equal. There, there are differences. It's not even a good spiritual illustration to say God the Father and God the Son are like twins. That's a horrible illustration. That's, they're not, that's not even, even close. Oh, it, our human mind, it appeases our human mind because we can picture it. We can, oh, okay, I got it. Christ and God the Father are like twins. And we take one step further, Christ the Son and God the Father and the Holy Spirit, they're triplets. 
No. You're, st- you're still missing it. See, we've tried for so many years, instead of just preaching authoritative of the Bible, we've tried to give so many Christian cliches and believing illustrations that we've tried to water this down. People have stood up for years and say, let me illustrate the Trinity for you. And they've tried all kinds of object lessons. They've tried all kinds of illustrations with water, fog, and ice. You're not going to get there. So what am I accepting this on? I'm accepting it by faith. The gift of faith that God has given to me. So if you challenge, why do I believe in the Trinity? Because of the faith, the gift of God. He's given me faith to believe. What, about, what if the whole world tells you? You're crazy. I still believe. I still believe. If the Son does all the Father does, then He must be just as almighty. He must be just as omniscient, which means all-knowing. He must be just as omnipresent. He must be infinite. Every perfection, in other words, he must be God. So if this is true, what Jesus is saying, and it is true, then he had every bit of authority to heal that lame man on the Sabbath day and didn't owe the Jews a single answer. Remember, we even said that every day is an act of mercy. You know, this idea that Jesus rested on the seventh day, he didn't rest because he was tired. He didn't have to say, you know what, boy, that creation took more out of me than I thought. And that said, since I'm so tired on the, on the seventh day, y'all just take a break. That's not even the purpose of it. it it's, it's, it's so much deeper than that. But Christ the Son can do nothing but what the Father does. He performs his works with the same divine power and the same excellency as the Father. So what is it that Jesus is declaring here? He's declaring, of course, his deity, but he's declaring that he is equal with the Father in his will and his purpose. Christ is one. Doesn't restrict him, doesn't limit him, but he's saying that what he does cannot be done independently of God the Father. I cannot act independently. Can you imagine once that doctrine gets hold? Again, mark my words, it's going to get hold. You're going to be able to go into churches, and you can today, that have broken the Trinity up, and it does not exist anymore. They won't talk about it, and if you ask them, by the way, Prayerfully, you never have to go to another church, but if you ever have to go to another church, make sure you ask that question too. What do you think about the Trinity? You know, it's an amazing thing. People call and ask about churches in very, very few times that they actually say, tell me a little bit about, tell me more about your doctrine. They ask me a lot about what the church does, where it goes, what it does for fun, but I very rarely have conversations with people about the doctrine of this church and what do we actually believe and Actually, people grilling me about, what do you believe? Before I bring my family to sit under your preaching, what do you believe about the blood of Christ? What do you believe about the deity of Christ? What do you believe about the Trinity? And I better be able to give an answer to that because those things matter. I mean, simple question. You call a preacher and say, do you think Jesus is God? Just ask that one question. If he doesn't authoritatively say amen or yes, I do, or well, 
thank you. I'll pray for you. Pray you get your heart right and get saved because you're way out. Because if he's not God, everything we do, this is, you're wasting your time. Jesus already been, has already been turned into a superhero. He's already been cartooned so many times that children are growing up with the idea that Jesus is like Superman. And in order for me to illustrate God's power, I have to use a superhero to do it. Check out your vacation Bible schools this summer. See if I'm not, see if I'm not dead serious about that. See, see if I'm not telling you the truth about, okay, in order to, to prove to you the power of God, let's put Superman and Batman here and here's this tied into the Bible. I'm not trying to be cute here, but do you realize that God would squash them? But in the mind of a child, in the mind of a child, when they see that superhero, you realize we live in a society that kids think more highly of superheroes than they do God? And some of it's the church's fault. Some of it's because we have decided that we can bring that mentality into our children because they can't take solid Bible teaching and they can't take it, so we've got to water it down. The reality is, is the sooner that we establish our children in the reality of this equality with God, the more solid doctrine they carry out. The Son cannot, will not, has not acted independently of the Father. Jesus Christ, God the Father, one God, one perfect will, yet there's order in the Trinity. We'll talk about that someday too. Order, order in the Trinity is not the same as limitations. Everything's supposed to have order. Whatsoever things he doeth, all the works of the Trinity in creation, providence, salvation, they engage all three divine persons in united action. So you know when that man, on the, the, the lame man was healed? All three of the Godhead were active. You know when Jesus Christ rose from the grave, what power did he rise by? The Holy Spirit. You know one day when your body is resurrected, you know what power you're going to be resurrected by? The Holy Spirit. Does that mean Jesus Christ is limited because he's not the one raising you from the dead? No, Jesus Christ did the work of paying for it. The Holy Spirit of God is the one that's going to quicken, make you alive. When we think about these truths this morning, let's keep in mind that Jesus Christ, equal with God, Absolute equality with God, as we've seen already in redemption and service, in will and purpose. Next week, if you want to read ahead, we're going to be dealing with just verse 20 next week. For the Father loveth the Son, and he showeth him all things that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel. So we'll deal next week, next week with Christ being equal with the Father, even in knowledge. And we'll study more about that next week. All right. Let's go ahead and stand, if you would, and we'll close in a word of prayer. And we'll go into our time of fellowship. It's just a little bit before 11 this morning, so you should have a good 35 minutes. There is uh, coffee. There is some water available if, if the uh, body...